Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. As you probably noticed, I haven't been posting as many episodes recently with former Oregon State student athletes and coaches. Still posting a few here and there and keeping uh, on track with those. But I've been working real hard on Dynasty in the Woods, a Beaver baseball documentary project I've been working on. You can listen to that right here on this podcast channel. In fact, I'll give you a little update right now before we hear from Stephen Kwan. Talked with Stephen a couple months ago. I've been kind of saving part of this conversation to give you a teaser of what's upcoming in this documentary project. You can hear about a 10-minute segment of Stephen and my conversation from a while back, some uh, talking about his professional career so far and some elements you'll hear in the documentary. But this Beaver baseball documentary called Dynasty in the Woods, which covers the 2018 baseball season, how that team won the championship, what happened in the postseason, some of the elements leading into that season, Pat Casey's career at OSU, the history of the program, how Beaver baseball nearly got disbanded a couple decades prior, and a lot of really crazy storylines. I've done 67 interviews for this project now. Uh, That's going to come out in April. So about a month from now, it's going to come out. You can listen to it for free starting April 28th. It'll come out right here on this podcast channel on Beaver Tales. It'll be titled Dynasty in the Woods, Episode 1, Episode 2, and so forth. Now, it is 18 episodes long. It's very lengthy because there's so much content. They don't stretch on. I've been listening to them myself and going back through and doing some edits. And as I've listened to them, they really don't feel like they drag on. I hope that people see 18 episodes and think, yeah, okay, if it's good enough, I'll, I'll listen through. And you know, while I'm driving to work and eventually get through them, I think people who do that will be rewarded with some good content, but it is long. But if you enjoy it so much, you can listen to it ahead of time by becoming a premium member. That only costs $20 to listen to every episode. They'll all be accessible right away starting April 21st. Uh, You can also do that by donating any amount to a charity. There's a number of sponsored nonprofits that uh, I'm helping out, just giving some free advertising. So if you donate to any one of these charities, Children's Garden, Food for the Hungry, Kingdom Home, or Old Mill Center, and then email me the receipt, I'll put my email in the show notes, you can become a premium member as well, no matter the donation amount. So I'll give some more info in the show notes, how to sign up, become a premium member. If you do that, you can listen to all the episodes in one sitting if you want on April 21st. And uh, episodes come out for free starting April 28th. So there's your update on Dynasty in the Woods. Now let's hear from Stephen Kwan, a big reason why Oregon State did get to the 2018 College World Series, who's had a fun career so far in the Cleveland organization since being drafted in the fifth round, uh, coming out of Oregon State following that national championship. So here's a conversation with Stephen Kwan here on the Beaver Tales podcast. First of all, how's the training facility? What's that experience like right now for you? It's pretty cool. They actually have us uh, up in an apartment thing. Hold on. Let me see if I can flip this camera for you. Yeah. We got a little apartment complex. Like, our fields are right there. And then it's just Arizona desert. So, we got a sweet <laughs> we got a sweet little, uh, little setup here. But it's nice out here. You know, it's the protocols are definitely interesting. Like, we have COVID tests every Monday, Thursday how bad are the covid tests they is the ones where they're getting all the way up in your nose all the way to your sinuses this one's a mouth one like they go in like the back of the throat and it like i don't know if it's their goal to make you gag but they get in there and they are relentless with their assault they jam it down there you gag and they're like all right here we go let's go oh my goodness you know it's it's but you get the you get the results i guess in 24 hours so i guess whatever uh gets it done and you've been negative every time since you first started taking it? 
yeah, we had only one player test positive and they got quarantined for like two weeks. So no more in the facility now. And what are the, what are the games like in terms of the, the, how many teams are there and the talent level, like what are the, and the one you got tonight, you know, who, who are you playing tonight and what are the games mm-hmm. like? So the travel schedule is pretty limited. Um, we play the Dodgers twice, one home, one away, but the rest of the time we're just playing the Reds because that's the one we share the facility with. Um, and it's really whoever they deem, well, you know, they wanted to bring to their instructs. So that's the talent level. The talent level has been pretty good, though. Um, the games have been fun. But right now, since it's early, we're only around like three to five innings of play each time. So they're just kind of getting our feet wet. But in a couple of weeks, I think it'll be full ramp. How how are they using you so far? Or do they mixing you around the outfield and the batting order? Or what's been kind of your role recently? Recently, it's just been center field. But um, I'm in the DH role today. But I only, I think that's only because I got less at bats than everybody else did. So I think they're just trying to like get everybody the same amount of at bats. I started in the nine hole the first time, so pretty much center field and around there as of now. Correct me if I'm wrong. The only time you were ever listed in the nine hole for Oregon State was when you were then taken out of the nine hole for game two when you got listed in a lineup card for a moment and then change it again. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that at all. I, I think that sounds about right, though. I remember there was a little micromanaging in the uh, in the lineup that day with Case. Cause it was like kind of touch and go because you'd like re-pulled it game one and then they originally had you lead off and then ninth and then just not playing at all. Yeah, I think I was trying to tell myself, like, oh, I'm good. And then it went to, I'm good enough. And then it's, all right, I'll figure something out. And then it was, yeah, probably not. So I think with the lineup changes, you saw my eventual uh, realization that it wasn't going to get it done that day. This may be too hypothetical of a question. So it's totally fine if you don't know the answer to this. You probably don't, Mm -hmm. but just just for the sake of it. I remember you saying that you obviously first pulled against Washington, kind of re- retweaked it on Caden's single that was a foul ball that should have been a double that was yeah it was originally called foul and you didn't realize it until like I think after you were around second almost coming into Jenks at third mm-hmm. had it been called fair from the beginning like it ultimately got called in the end first of all you're scoring on that play right yes that was the full intention of that right off the bat for sure and if you had just rounded third as a fair ball, would you have tweaked your hamstring since you didn't have to slow down hearing it was a foul ball? No, I, I pulled it probably like a couple steps after my secondary. Like once it was like the giddy up, like, okay, I got to get going here. That was the initial like, oh, I tweaked it again. It wasn't on the slowdown. So realistically, it might have gotten worse if I had to go home because then I'd have to keep moving and find a way to get there and you know obviously with the adrenaline and everything going I had to make it at home so you know it might have been a blessing in disguise it just got pulled how it is and got called foul but thankfully we'll never have to know I'm impressed you got as far as you did with pulling your hamstring partway Mm -hmm. through that run yeah Jeremy our trainer at the time I mean he had us taped up real good like it was it was secure so I could be good enough and I was on some some pretty good Tylenol and all that so it was as good as it could get, but I knew after the game it was going to be real sore, and it was. You said one comment that I didn't. It didn't hit me until later, but I, and you may have just been joking. But I just wanted to make sure. In game three, you were talking about 
you're, you're doing your treatment, you know, probably knowing you're not going to get in, but you're ready just in case. And you, you said something to the, to the effect of, oh, I really wanted to, to just lay down a bunt and backpedal. And I'm wondering, would you have legitimately backpedaled down the first baseline after laying down a bunt? I absolutely would have. So for my at bat against North Carolina where I pinched hit, I told Casey that because I could backpedal and shuffle actually comfortably. So if by some way I actually would have got a hit or like a single and I had to stretch the two, I would have like shuffled out of the box and like backpedaled because that was what was comfortable. But, you know, thankfully they walked me so I didn't have to embarrass myself in front of everybody. But that was definitely the, that was actually the, the plan that day if I if something happened. That's the biggest travesty I've ever heard that we didn't get to see you backpedal in the college world series. <laughs> I, I would have, I, it would have been, it would have been something. It would have been something. I, I think I settled on shuffling because backpedaling had a higher risk of tripping. Right. And I, if I'm going to backpedal, tripping would just make it 10 times worse. So. And Case was fully aware that you might have shuffled and he, he knew that was going to happen and, and Case was okay with you. Like, you're going you're gonna to shuffle like he knew that was your plan? Well, I didn't really tell him that. He was like, hey, Kwani, like, you know, if something happens, you know, just, just walk it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll do that. But, like, you know, game happens. You know, you can't – if I get there, he's not going to be mad at it, you know. And if I don't hurt myself, he won't be mad at it. So I figured, you know, what he doesn't know won't hurt him. All right, some fun memories from Stephen Kwan already about the 2018 postseason. There were a lot more questions I asked him, but I'll save that for the documentary, and it'll be in the context of all the other memories, the specific games. It'll make more sense as you relive the 2018 postseason in full when that documentary comes out. Here's another part of the conversation I think was still relevant, uh, interesting, just as its own part for this podcast. We start talking about the mental game and the work he did with a couple of sports psychologists, mental health counselors. Greg Warburton and Alan Jager, both of whom worked with Oregon State baseball players as well as Tyler Graham. And so I first asked about Greg Warburton, uh, who worked with a lot of OSU baseball players, including Stephen Kwan. I started with Greg. We worked through a lot of stuff and he got me like the foundation of like what mental training is about. He gave me a book that I looked over a couple times and that was kind of the start of my mental training. And then it progressed to, you know, Tyler. He was more because Greg Warburton was more of like a by appointment kind of guy, but Tyler Graham was like there every day kind of guy. So that was something I was able to like really dive in deep every day. What was kind of the first elements of mental conditioning and mental training that you started to learn and realized, oh, this is important and helpful. What was kind of the first thing that clicked with you? With Greg, it was breathing. He stressed breathing very, very much. Cause he talked about, there was so many benefits with like a deep breath. I got to the box, I felt my heart beating. My breasts were really short and like, I didn't feel very in control of the situation. So I remember thinking like, oh, wow, he's completely right. But I didn't have the tools to combat that at the time. So my breath stayed short, my heart stayed beating and I didn't get the results that I wanted. So it was cool kind of how he explained what it did and then to have like a tangible feeling of the next game and being like, okay, like this is what I'm working towards now. This is what I need to do to equip myself. When you started focusing on the breathing, uh, how would that change your thoughts like during games? It, it really just sped things down. I remember him saying something specifically. It's like when you take a deep breath, it really, it just slows everything down. But when you, it, it takes out your like fight or flight reaction or like thinking, you know, when you breathe normally, it's your body, it's your body relaying to your mind. 
that like, okay, everything's fine. Everything's good. But once you start breathing fast and like things start um, quickening up, that's when it becomes like fight or flight. And it's really like reactive and, and just kind of like not very dependable. So when you get that deep breath and tell yourself everything's good, this is normal. You're, you're fine. You're confident. That's when you can start relying on your training and taking, you know, taking it slow, not letting the game speed up on you and be intentional with what you want to do. What do you remember about then kind of what Alan Jager would teach about? How, how did he kind of add something to what you started with Greg Warburton and, and add elements of what he taught? What, what was something that you learned from him? Yeah. So with Alan was really teaching Tyler Graham at the time as well. So I kind of, I'll just address them both as, as one, but yeah, Alan really talked to us about like the meditation process and, you know, here's the, like why you're doing it now, here's how to train it. And, he would take us through meditations when we met him down in like UCLA and USC, he would be there at the hotel to help us out. And just talking to him, he really, he put everything into words. He made it really easy to understand. Like I think with meditation, people get kind of bogged up on like, you know, what do I need to do? This seems like really in depth, too deep for me, but he made it really simple, made it really easy to grasp. He made the meditations much more attainable than I thought from before visualization seemed to be pretty huge. And, and one thing Zach Taylor said is like, you can't tell the difference between a mental rep and a real rep. Do you remember mm -hmm. like feeling how a mental rep would help? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the, I mean, that's the exact same thing that uh, I learned from, from Greg and Alan at the same time. When you get the rep in your head and you see it out and then when you perform it, it's basically just like, Oh, I've done this before. And in that split second, you're not going to differentiate like, oh, but I only thought that I was doing that instead of doing it. Like once your body's familiar with doing something, it becomes second nature. And then it's not like something new or foreign to you. So that helps a ton. And like I said, for that interview that we did before, it helped with that and it helps in baseball as well. Well, let's transition to Pat Casey a little bit and just a few last questions for you. We talked about it a little bit already, but more in a, in a broad sense, if you met someone who didn't know what Pat Casey was like, they knew he was a baseball coach, but that's about it. How, how would you describe Pat Casey to someone who hasn't met him? I would just, I would lead off by saying he's just a great molder of, of men. Uh, he, he transforms boys into men. And I think that's, he just does that every year. It's obviously he's a baseball coach, but, He's definitely a life coach, essentially, in, in that aspect as well. Um, I couldn't imagine being where I was or where I am without him, you know, having somebody drive me, like push me down, expect the most out of it. Like, that's just something I feel like everybody needs in their life. And he's just a very unique and special man for that. Yeah. It's interesting to say that with also how intense he was. Uh, do you remember him getting mad at you? Would he would he get angry at you in particular? Any stories along those lines? Oh, absolutely. He'd, he'd get, I'd give him a lot of reasons to uh, to be mad at me. Um, it was I mean, it just it was on the basis again of like I didn't believe in myself. I wasn't very confident. I wasn't very adamant. In a lot of things I would do, and I think to a point it like maybe the word is too strong, but like it disgusted him that like, I just had such little faith in myself. So he would like expect myself, he would expect me just to like perform, do better. Like, like, like he would just have that look on you. Like really Kwani, like you're not getting this bunt down right now. Like, do you believe that little in yourself? And maybe it's looking too deep in it, but I, I saw in that look, it's like, no, like he's right. Like I have zero reason to not believe in myself to, to get this bunt down or to, to do whatever task he had available for me. Right. The one thing I think Jenks brought this up initially, I, I didn't know this story, something about 
how he would never eat during the season. Do you ever remember him seeing him eating food? No, never. I, I just talked about that with somebody, which is really funny. I've never seen him eat food ever. And it's like his, uh, his Joe, Joe Casey would always joke about that. And he's like, yeah, like my dad just doesn't eat. I'm like, don't you live with him? He goes, yeah, but I really don't even ever see him eat. And I tested the theory on, I saw him run around the hotel more than I ever saw him put food into his mouth. So guy's just a different breed. <laughs> Are we sure that he's human? No, no. I, you know, I can't fully say that's confirmed yet. <laughs> also another, I forgot to add this about Arkansas. I've heard stories of how since this Arkansas fan section, especially like the students were in right field and Trevor Larnick was out there <laughs> of the like yelling at him. You were in outfield too for game one. Do, what do you remember of Arkansas chirping at Trevor or you? <laughs> I just remember the, uh, I'm sure Trevor told you the one, but they were just chanting his girlfriend's name out and it was just relentless. Like it wasn't for like four or five. It was like the whole inning. And it was just, it was really funny because it wasn't very malicious. It was just like, Jessica Garcia, Jessica, and it just wouldn't stop. Um, that one was fun. Um, I, I got a lot of mine during uh, shagging because I, I, when I was in the game, I didn't really hear too much. And admittedly, I'm not too close to the fence for that. But I remember they'd look at me and they go, hey, four, stand up. And then everybody would just start laughing. Uh, that, that's always a, a solid one. It was a lot of, uh, actually, a lot of Asian jokes that, you know, I'm used to, but there was definitely more from them than uh, other teams that I've been chirped at. So that was something I remember very fondly, not in a good way, but I remember those very well. Yeah. Then that must've been pretty fun for Trevor to go back out in right field for the bottom of the ninth. Cause you oh, still yeah. played defense right after he hit the home run to right oh, field. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I bet he, he, they knew, I bet they were real quiet for that one. I bet they were real quiet. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Stephen Kwan. Again, this podcast series, Dynasty in the Woods, comes out April 21st. If you sign up to be a premium member and if you just go to the Beaver Tales podcast right here, this podcast you're listening to now, it'll come out for free. Uh, episode one on April 28th, and then every Wednesday after that for the next few months, and you can listen for free as well. Here on the Beaver Tales podcast, we'll continue putting out some conversations at least uh, through the month of April until those episodes come out for the documentary. So I'll have a few more episodes scheduled with Chelsea Buckland, former Canadian national team member and women's soccer player at Oregon State, Marcus Wheaton, former Pittsburgh Steeler and Oregon State football player, and a few others planned as well. I'm Josh Warden. Until next time, on on the Beaver Tales podcast or on Dynasty in the Woods coming up. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great week, everyone.